My name is Zoe, the co-host of Not Superwoman. I am the granddaughter of French, English and Irish immigrants now living on Boorong land. I acknowledge that we meet on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kula Nation, who are the traditional owners of the land in which this podcast was recorded. We pay respects to elders past and present. I recognize and respect their cultural heritage, beliefs and relationships with this land. Welcome to Not Superwoman. Hello. Oh, you're here. That's nice. Hi, Rat. Hi, Rat. How's your week been? Mine has been far more low-key than yours. You've had the girl's birthday. And it was absolute carnage. I've had mothers come back to me yesterday and they're like, that was a lovely party. Thanks so much for having them. I'm like, it wasn't a lovely party. I'm like, it was absolute mayhem and I don't know what I was thinking. No, you did a good job. I think when you did say to me in advance, it was 60 people coming, I was like, (gasps) I just felt like I was so organised this year and that made me really happy. Like I'd hired the local hall. You know, we'd chat about a different things. Like a I borrowed. Great idea. It and was. It, it was work. such a good idea. I so was doing. In context, you were doing a movie in the local um, hall. Yeah, Your... pajama party, pizza, setting up the big screen. Like it was. You know, it was not. It was a non-fail operation here. I had drinks for the adults, drinks for me. <laughs> <laughs> like I had everything organised. I like did full setup prep. I downloaded the movie. Anyway, so we got there to the hall, the no reception, wouldn't work, the projector, then I got it working and then all the children kind of like their noises rebounded off the hall walls. So it was like being stuck in hell. Their screaming was so loud, like the excitement levels were next level. So anyway, we did the cake, we did the pizza, all fun. Then halfway through the movie, they're like, we don't want to watch this anymore. (laughs) And I was like, what do you mean? Everyone's having a great time. And they're like, we want a disco. Oh, plan B. And then I thought the party ended at 7. Didn't end at 7. Ended at 7.30. So here I am, Charlie and I, with a limbo stick, playing like, you know, that song, red, red wine. (laughs) (laughs) We're all doing the limbo. I don't know if that was an appropriate choice for an I'm just, And then matching, everyone left. I had to match 60 presents with 60 cards that had all got lost. To be honest, I'm uh-huh. slightly traumatised. You did well. I'm very proud of you. There will be no more parties. No, I know. I'm, I'm downsizing to one friend. One friend stay the night. Going to village. And that's, yeah, that's, that's as far it. as I'm That's going. it. Yeah. So apart from that, I feel like I'm back today. Oh, God. Good to have you back. And you've been full of illness in your household. I know, recovering. And annoyingly, school holiday fun. You always like, send them to a holiday program and then they come home shockingly sick and then everyone else gets it i know the joys the joys of life well our guest today is dr charlotte keating charlotte keating is a clinical psychologist and has a phd in neuroscience she's a speaker and director of the alana madeline foundation and on the advisory board for dolly's dream i mean that all of those roles i I mean what it would take the resilience it would take to to undertake and be a part of and contribute and speak on behalf of um, both of those foundations is would just it's incredible yeah. I even chatting with her today and, and after speaking with her I 
we both found it incredibly emotional. Yeah, it was. We, um, uh, I guess, tr- sort of trigger warning because what we do discuss is um, battling bullying and battling bullying with kindness. And she very kindly talks us through her advice, guidance, and also resources for dealing with bullying, um, not only in um, kinder you know, what we can understand because, you know, about bullying from the younger ages and and I guess being uh, rational about what developmental stages they're at so that they might not have the capacity to understand and at a very young age to then school age where they might start having the ability and taking the time to talk to your children um, about their behaviour, the way in which they're engaging with other children. And what we're modelling at home. And And teaching our children. Yeah, yeah. And ourselves. Yes. It, it, it's funny because everything she talked about it realistically was, you know, just as you said, like what, what, how we looking at really how we behave at home and then passing that down to our children because it, whilst we're talking about um, bullying in children and young people uh, in this week's episode, the, the sort of, Resounding kind of uh, spit the, resound- it out. <laughs> the resounding nature of it is that realistically, this is behaviours and mental health and awareness that really actually attribute to us just as much. And as you carry these strategies through in all aspects of your life the whole way through. Yes. Yeah. But um, she she very kindly um, offers a lot of resources, so I do strongly suggest. We did talk about both sides. If you're concerned about your children or your child on being on the receiving end of what bullying behaviour might be. Or being the bullier. or And then, yeah, if you're worried that your child is having tendencies or exampling behaviour that might be considered bullying. Because we did look up what the definition of bullying is and it's behaviour which causes harm or to hurt and is done deliberately and repeatedly. Now, that is something that you might consider to be, like, obviously negative. But what I think we heard throughout talking to Dr Keating is just that really you have to, on both sides of the spectrum, consider um, your child's well-being and what's going on to be triggering that behaviour. Yes. And how you can proactively... And the environmental factors that are leading to this. Like yeah. what's... Um, how you can proactively and, um, you know, pragmatically sit, like work through it. Yeah. On, from both sides. And then I think that's what's so helpful is that it's not just a conversation about one angle. It We tried to cover a lot of it. So... Yeah. We are so lucky to have Charlotte... Oh, Dr. Keating, and can't wait to chat with her and bring this interview to you today. Welcome, Charlotte. Welcome to this week's episode of Not Super Woman. We are very honoured to be sitting and talking with Dr. Charlotte Keating. Um, you are a clinical psychologist with um, a PhD in neuroscience. You're a director at the Alana Madeline Foundation and on the advisory board of Dolly's Dream, um, which is, to be honest, I'm I'm very in awe of, of you as a woman, but then also of what you contribute to the community. I just think it is all around such an amazing 
contribution. Huge. And um, we're so grateful that you're sitting with us today to talk about. We decided we um, uh, you often publicly speak on matters of young adults, young children, mental health and well-being, and um, particularly uh, through Dolly's Dream, been talking about bullying. And I uh, wanted we wanted to talk to you today about that because us being two mums. Um, with young children, it's it's a whole new ball, ball game. I think growing up from when from when we grew up, and bullying was so different, and it's changed so much. I think, especially with the world of online and social media. So we were very very grateful that you're willing to sit down and talk to us today, and and work out and navigate how we can better help and assist and be more aware. Thank you, Thank you so much for that lovely introduction. Oh, no, it's a pleasure. I um, did, as I often do prior to episodes, I really like to get to know our guests and understand who they are. And Zoe was the actual one that um, as well highlighted that you'd be an amazing person to get on. What um, I was sort of touched by and and I empathised with is that I had watched you in an interview and you have previously publicly spoken about your experience as a young person where you lost a friend to suicide and that affected or did it affect your trajectory into studying um, neuroscience and clinical psychology? Yeah, yeah, it did. Um, yeah, I lost a, a childhood friend when when I was still at school and I really, I really struggled uh, to understand how it could have happened. I think, you know, everybody did uh, really, and at the time, a psychologist came and spoke at school to us um, to support everybody afterwards. And the entire experience, I think, made me want to understand more about young people's experiences and and how it might be possible to help if someone is going through such a tough time. It started with neuroscience, and then, and then, what from the steps from there? What made you to define it further to clinical psychology? Hmm. Well. I think I've probably always been curious about how it is that we think, you know, how it is that we feel and behave and <clears throat> how our brain sort of neurochemistry actually supports those processes. And I think, you know, from the perspective that the teen brain is growing so much, um, same with childhood, but, but the teenage sort of years, um, I think I'm especially interested in just because of how much rapid growth is happening. Um, so I ended up going in the direction of a, a PhD in, in body image and, and mood disorders first, um, also because of opportunities that presented at the time. But I always knew I was going to hopefully come back to, to clinical psychology um, in the end, which you know sort of explains the pathway there. Um, you know, in terms of you know deciding to to focus on sort of young people and, and adolescents, I often have this this conversation with with other people and, and colleagues. But I think, you know, often your area of interest can find you. Mm. And I think that was the case for me. It just it just felt like it made sense. Um, and the teen years, you know, and for young people, you know, younger than teens, uh, it presents such a complex time. You know, there's so many firsts and, and so many coming of, of age experiences, whether it's starting primary school for the first time or it's heading off into the senior school or life after school and relationships and, and navigating all of that um, 
together with such dramatic brain growth that's that's sort of happening, it can be a time that's quite quite sort of tough to manage. So the opportunity to have support and perhaps some guidance, um, I think, can really change the trajectory for some people. Um, you know, and young people are typically asking themselves those massive questions like, who am I? Um, am I normal? Where am I going in the world? Uh, and so a little bit of support along the way, you know, especially um, when there's so many firsts uh, to navigate, I think can be really valuable. And, you know, genuinely. Oh, we've had that support. <laughs> no, I mean, it, and as you said as well, like the the defining questions, I mean, we recently spoke with someone who talked about the surging of um, it, that it actually doesn't just come down to uh emotions is as much as it comes down to physiological biological surges that happen throughout those adolescent years um that peaks and troughs i mean as i understand it is that sort of an accurate description of yeah yep i think it is you know there's so many sort of um inbuilt uh physiological changes in our dna that you know happen at various sort of time points in development and it can be really, um, really quite challenging sometimes to decipher between what is just part of usual development versus, you know, things becoming quite challenging and, and in need of some support. Mm. Uh, and it's those teen years where it's where it's really, you know, going on for sure. Mm. So you you um, studied clinical psychology, and it sounds like it covered you covered and narrowed it down further. You you mentioned like. Uh, would you call it like body, your reference body, like dysmorphia, would you call it? or? Yeah, I think, you know, in terms of my areas of practice, they maybe don't map on, you know, entirely specifically to what I studied in, in the research sort of context. Mm. I think, um, you know, the young people that I would, would tend to see can be experiencing, you know, high prevalence sorts of um challenges like, you know, mood, difficulties, anxiety, stress, anything, you know, from friendship challenges to challenges within, you know, the parenting-child uh, relationship too. It could be navigating, you know, different life transitions. So, you know, life after school or from primary to secondary. So really it's just anything to do with, um, I think, the, the typical experiences we as human beings have um, and often as we have them as between, you know, two people or more, that sort of interpersonal space as well. Mm. And so then uh, with with all of that education and knowledge, how did your involvement in the Alana Madeline Foundation and Dolly's Dream come about? Yeah, I, I um, am just so grateful to be part of these two you know, organisations. So the Alana and Madeline Foundation, uh, as you may know, was founded by Walter Mikak um, when his daughters, who were aged six and three at the time, were tra tragically killed alongside their mother and 32 other people uh, at Port Arthur in Tasmania. And the foundation was founded the year after, and it continues more than 25 years later to support children and advocate for their right to be safe. Um, they work in the space of policy and advocacy in providing care programs that offer, you know, direct assistance to children who experience violence or trauma, as well as prevention programs for helping kids to be positive digital citizens. So they do incredible work. And, and Dolly's Dream was set up um, by her parents, Kate and Tick, um, to honour their daughter who, who took her life when she was 14 years old following repeated bullying. 
Um, you know, Kate and Tick's goal was to try and make sure that other parents don't have to experience um, the sorts of, you know, tragedy that, that they have. And Dolly's dream is focused on, on changing the culture of bullying um, and addressing the impact of bullying, anxiety, depression uh, and new suicide through education and direct support to children, parents and educators. And they are particularly focused too on reaching out to those families in sort of rural, regional and remote Australia too, where sometimes um, the help can be, you know, harder to find. So mm-hmm. I'm, you know. Incredibly, yeah. When you think of, like, when I think of bullying, what what is bullying? Like, how do you define bullying? So bullying, there's lots of definitions um, for for bullying, uh, but really it's um, a deliberate and repeated behaviour that is intended to cause hurt or harm. Um, Oftentimes it can involve involve some sort of power imbalance um, between people and the person who is being bullied can often feel quite helpless to do anything about it and and genuinely quite intimidated. It's just, it's so so bizarre to be on now and an adult and with children and trying to navigate navigate how to nurture them to understand that compassion and kindness should come first and then how to also understand the playground environment. I mean, my experience growing up, I I definitely... You never forget that the playground at school, you never forget all that, you know, anxiety, angst. Yeah, and that teen angst where you feel um, very overwhelmed, you don't, you, you want to find your place but really you're probably in a stage of your life where you, I mean, at no point is identity really defined. So then you sort of, you, you sort of, in, to, I, I found myself toing and froing between people pleasing and joining in, in probably now in hindsight behaviour that really, you know, as an adult now I realise probably wasn't reflective of the person I want to be. No. But then at the same time, I also remember it being in the playground and, you know, being on the receiving end. And as an as a parent now, I'm just trying to figure out and navigate what is playground, you know, um, and not to minimize it, but just what the difference is. Is mm-hmm. and I guess it's when you when you talked about the definition before, it's I guess the repeated nature and the deliberate nature of it. Um and I mean as parents how do you see what would be your guidance and advice for parents to check in on their children and whether or not they're feeling like they are concerned their child may be being bullied what would and or you know if they're worried that their child is leaning towards tendency or behavior of repeating and and catching on to it so that they can make a difference yeah, I think that's a, you know, really critical question. As you say, it really kind of reminds you of some of the experiences perhaps you went through uh, as a younger person and, and what can you, you know, do now um, with your young people. And I think um, children aren't always in a position where they feel comfortable to tell their parents what's going on. And I think there can be a range of reasons for that. And sometimes it can be that they don't actually 
actually know um, what bullying is. So I think it is important to have those conversations with them about what bullying is and what it isn't. Um, it's not a once-off argument or a once-off fight or a once-off scuffle, although those are no, um, that, you know, they're not necessarily uh, good experiences either. Um, but it's the ongoing nature of it. And I think, you know, when we look at the statistics being one in four young people have been bullied um, and one in five, you know, have experienced cyberbullying, uh, it's a conversation that all parents probably can have and begin to have quite early on in their in their children's life about um, respectful relationships and, you know, asking those questions, hey, you know, sometimes it can be a bit tough in the playground and, and people can maybe um, be a little bit nasty to each other. Have you ever seen that? Has that ever happened to you? What was it like? Um, really kind of curiously exploring it. Um, and, and I think probably for parents to sort of knowing some of the signs um, because children aren't always necessarily forthcoming in what their experiences are, being able to identify if their child might be being bullied is, is quite important. So if you notice things like a change in their confidence levels, uh, if they're refusing perhaps to go to school or it's really difficult to get them off to school, they might be becoming a bit more socially withdrawn and not playing with the same people that they typically have played with. You could see it play out in, in mood and irritability and being a little bit more um, sort of reactive perhaps at home. Sleeping problems, um, they might be having more bad dreams than usual, their appetite might change, um, you know, an unwillingness to, to sort of talk about their school or online. That, those sorts of signs and um, indicators that something might be going on. Um, and I think too, you know, equally it can be really difficult for, for parents in a position where they might see maybe signs or symptoms that their child might be bullying somebody else's child or, of course, you know, if they find out through through school, they get the, you know, the call that no parent really wants. that call. Mm. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Uh, it's funny. It, uh, I mean, I recently had an experience where I received a call from the teacher and it was, you know, about the boys playing cricket in the schoolyard and one boy wanted to play soccer, one boy wanted to play cricket. And but the angst and, and you know frustration that it was causing between the two, the friendship, was enough for, to warrant the teacher to call because it was happening over a period of time. But um, sitting down and um, having that conversation with my son to just remind him, you know, take turns and share, and and having like a proactive but um, semi-emotional because he's a really he's one of the ones that doesn't. Um, he doesn't openly tell me about his day. He's not openly conversational. So receiving any information, at, withdrawing information is quite difficult. But um, but it was quite fascinating to see the I, – I explained what the ramifications of not sharing may be um, and then also came we worked out together solutions on how to share up the cricket and soccer and then um, – and it was like a few weeks later and he was uh said, Oh, my friend was away today. Um so he gets to choose it was his day, it was his day for soccer. So we're gonna swap days. I got to play cricket. So and it was just like, oh my God, it You're actually like, win. Yes. worked. <laughs> I'm an amazing parent. <laughs> Let me tell you, I get so much wrong. But it was just one of those small things that I think making the time to sit down and have that conversation that took 20 minutes had such a 
different impact, way more of an impact than what I had anticipated. Um, mm. But I do, a lot of our listeners are all from all different age brackets. And so if we were to talk, we're talking about primary school, but even if we were to scale it back to that kinder age, is it different again because it's just too developmentally young and some of those things incidentally happen, like as in they don't emotionally understand relationships and friendships yet. So those, in those um, for the want of a better term, like argy-bargies kind of happen just purely because of well, they're learning. They're learning? learning to share their learnings. I guess if you're an only child or you've. I just was thinking about the parents that might be listening going, oh, gosh, my three-year-old or four-year-old and feel alerted. But, yeah, trying to understand the, 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 the timing of it, I guess. Yeah, I think, I think it's a really good question. And there's a, there's a couple, I guess, of, of elements to it. One is um, I think we're talking a little bit about empathy, and empathy kicking in of, you know, being able to sort of identify, I really want to play cricket and the other one really wants to play soccer and I liked the way you worked through the situation, Beck, because it sounds like your little one just didn't have the strategy yet for how to work through the situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you, when you gave them that sort of cognitive scaffold in a way, uh, he could put it in into practice and it really helped. And so that's wonderful because it's really reinforcing and he's likely to do that again. And when I think about kinder, really the messaging about turn-taking and sharing is the same. It's just scaled down to what they're able to understand. And probably as the adult, the caregiver, the parent, you're thinking to yourself, okay, if they're in kinder, my... my um, you know, sort of expectations mm-hmm. be lowered to that stage of brain development. Mm-hmm. And, you know, kids around, say, or, you know, toddlers around, say, two or three are starting to develop empathy and maybe around sort of seven or eight it starts to get more complex, um, you know, their ability to sort of understand it. But, yeah, kids are egocentric, self-focused um, little <laughs> beings and they're meant to be. Um, and so, you know, that's what we see when they have these sort of, you know, these challenges. Um, but I think, as you say, taking 20 minutes just to have a clear and careful discussion with them can really change the trajectory mm. pretty immediately. Um, <laughs> and it, it, I will say it was over a, a takeaway hamburger and a milkshake, yep. so that probably helped. Or problems, you know, I always ring friends or we talk it over strategies yep. on what we can do yep. and it does bring more clarity. Mm. It does, doesn't it? Because it takes a village, doesn't it? Yeah, 100%. And you don't, everyone thinks about things in different ways. Mm. I know. And then like we were talking about earlier as well, your this was, I guess, is that the avenue if you're identifying that, you know, your child is showing tendencies where they need some, you, we referred to scaffolding structure to understand how to resolve the problem or issue that's arising, um, sitting down and talking them through prop to problem solve with them. Uh, on the flip side of it, if you're identifying as a parent that your um, child might be on the receiving end, what are the steps that you should take to to sort of help them work to a resolution and, and feel more confident? Like if you just call the pe- 
parent directly? Do you speak to the teacher? Like how do you do that? Yeah, good question. So I always say please don't um, call the parent directly in most instances, pretty much all of them, because um, if bullying is involved, even though your intention might be really good, it doesn't mean that approaching the parent directly will result in a positive outcome. It can sometimes make it worse. So I'd really yeah. encourage um, going through the school with it. And all schools have to have a bullying policy that on their, you know, you'll find it on their website. Um, I go and have a look and, and, and take those steps. But I think, you know, if you are concerned that your child has been bullied or they've come and they've actually told you that they have been, what what ideally you might do with them is in a calm and very quiet, safe way, help them explain to you everything that happened so that you can understand it. Mm. Let them know that they've absolutely done the right thing in coming to you to talk about it, mm. uh, that it's completely natural to feel upset about what's gone on, really, really validate that, mm. um, and let them know that you're going to help them and in a way that's collaborative work through the issue through the school so that they can feel safe at school because everybody does deserve uh, to feel safe at school. So um, remaining as calm as you possibly can, and sometimes it's hard to remain calm in these situations, but taking taking the pathway through the school is, is really what I would recommend. So would that be the same, I guess, practice if you think your child is bullying another child? You'd just let yeah. the school, I guess... It's a great question, um, Zoe, and I think it's it's really difficult if you think your child has bullied someone else or if you get that call, as, as we said before. And I think if you do get that call or you find out, take a few deep breaths, first of all, because oh. the aim, <laughs> it's hard. And, um, you know, I think that the, the aim, if you are a parent in that position, is to really understand from your child what has actually happened Uh, And your capacity to have an open conversation that's difficult like this and for them to be open with you about the facts is greatly increased if you speak with them in a really calm and safe way without them feeling blamed. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, making sure that you're feeling first emotionally steady and, as you said before, Zoe, that could be calling, um, you know, somebody in confidence to talk things through so that you can get steady on it first Mm -hmm. and then you don't risk sort of projecting that anger or shame, even though you might feel some of those things uh, onto your child in that moment because, um, you know, anger, the more angry you are, it's not going to grow their capacity for empathy. And Um, you want them to come to you with these problems and trust you in the future. And I think, you know, bullying is really complex. What we do know is that, you know, a large proportion of children who do bully other children have themselves been bullied. And we also know that, you know, people who may bully other people in certain circumstances can themselves be very insecure. Um, So, yeah, I mean, as their parent, you are still in the position of needing to be their their greatest support person. Um, So, you know, these situations also require uh, a lot of support and a lot of care. and, And actually, it's an opportunity to model care to them. Um, and how you treat them in any situation, um, even if they've, their behaviour has been unacceptable, uh, they still need to be treated around that in a way that is modelling how you would like them to treat other people. Other people. 
Mm. Yeah. So, you know, not being reactive, um, not immediately engaging the other party, neutralising yourself to a point where you can talk it through calmly with someone in confidence, find your centre point and your your game plan for the want of a minute. I think you do. Well, you would carry these skills through your whole life and because bullying isn't just a child. No, I mean, yeah. It's you know, certainly, it's all aspects of your entire life in some capacity. I guess it, it is that sort of behaviour is that, that you know, really what we should be trying to establish in a day-to-day treatment of anyone. I should just not be reactive at any time. Yeah. <laughs> Sometimes I'm not and so great at that. really charming. Um, but but um, just note on that because it's, you know, we're having, we're having a laugh, which is excellent. But I think, you know, right, it's not about having to be superwoman. You know, you're allowed to be reactive. You're allowed to lose it. It's not the losing that that is, you know, the issue necessarily. It's do you have the opportunity to repair and apologise in relation to that rupture? Yeah, so yes, the good you don't word. have to be a, you know, a perfect, perfect parent, right? Um, I definitely not. I, <laughs> I actually feel comfort in you saying that. And even on the weekend, I reached a point of just absolute like children, our kids have been sick. We've been up all throughout the night. Like, just I find the more fatigued I am, the less um, likely I am to be able to center myself. Yes. Um, and it is, it's nice to know. Look, because uh, I, I'll. I always, my husband always has a go at me for stopping my sentence halfway through, but it just triggered the thought that when I started wanting to have a family and being fortunate enough to to, to start that process and have a child, I thought I was starting with a, a blank canvas and I was in this desperate bid to keep it clean and immaculate and perfect and paint within the lines as for want of a better description. And now as my children are getting older the canvas is a bit messy. Like, I'm like, I painted outside of the lines and I'm I I'm like I, I used to panic. I'm like, no, I had that opportunity to keep it neat and clean and tidy and I've I've destroyed the canvas. But now I'm, you know, as I'm getting older and learning, uh, you know, that that that's all part of the process. And I guess going back to what you said earlier, is that um it's how you repair the rupture and you know learn from what you've what you know what's happened or a situation to model it and and improve on it for the sake of your children i mean we talk about it in the playground but we are in a post covid world where the kids did spend so much time online um they were expected to be on devices for the sake of homeschooling and then what are you finding as uh, in your experience now being a professional in this field about trying to withdraw the kids back from being on devices and then also the increase of maybe bullying that's happening online because of that? Is it increased because of the amount we had to rely on devices during COVID? There was certainly, um, you know, uh, reports and <clears throat> research that demonstrated an increase in, in incidents um, online uh, during COVID. Um, I think, you know, COVID was a, you know, a very unusual time for all families who, you know, were having to keep children at home and try and engage in remote learning um, where you had no choice but to be incredibly reliant on technology for 
education, for entertainment, for socialising, really everything. So we sort of turbocharged that habit and our brains, um, our brains habit or habitual interactions with it. Um, I think, you know, when we're trying to sort of rewind it or, or change things up, um, you know, in the, in the time since COVID, it is challenging to compete with the reward uh, that tech devices offer, but I think we all certainly know that a balanced life that includes time spent outside and offline and in face-to-face -face interactions is really important as well as having, um, you know, time on technology too. So my advice around this is always to try and start as early as you can with how you use technology and routines around it. So not sleeping with technology in the bedroom at night is kind of a no-brainer, even though it's really hard for so many of us to do. Um, and I think, you know, it's sort of about really having, depending on the age of your children, broader and collaborative conversations about what does everybody in the family use technology for? Do we like what we use it for? Are we using it too much? Are there things that we're missing out on that we would otherwise like to do? You know, my concern is always are they getting enough exercise? And as a, a you know, multiple clients actually have told me in the past, they're like, Charlotte, I, I use you know, Pokemon Go, that's my exercise. I'm sort of out and about and, you know, part of me can't really argue too much with it, although I hope they're getting their heart rate up. Um, but I think, yeah, where he's obsessed with it, yeah. Yeah, so I think, you know, there are, there's, you know, depending on the age of your kids, there's different resources out there that can help you have these collaborative conversations that, as Zoe said before too, it's sort of setting them up now for what happens in the teen years and beyond for how you talk about these things and the way that you sort of come together to solve problems. So, you know, the family tech plan um, through Dolly's Dream is just one such resource that sort of gives guidance on the sorts of conversations that, oh, you that is have. genius, honestly, because that's we're fortunate enough we're not at a, of an age yet where our kids are really online in regards to social media or anything like that. They're still in primary school and don't have access to and it. And I've banned it. And, you know, it's still like, um, you know, a reading eggs and those sort of programs that they might refer to the device or Pokemon Go on a, um, as for Bertie. But the the resource of a family tech plan is such a great idea because I do have anxiety about where it graduates from here. I know it's coming. But but how would you know what online bullying is? Like I would have no idea. Like is that photos? Is it images? Is it, um, you know, chats within, I don't know, Messenger or things like that? Like I, I would have no idea. It's a, look, it's a really good question and I think, again, it can be quite age-specific as to yes. you know, what it might look like, but it could be group chats where somebody is being targeted um, or deliberately excluded um, yeah. by other people in the group. It could be nasty comments posted on social media, direct messages um, to a person. You know, if the bullying, of course, is happening online, um, you can report it to the website where it's happening. Uh, and if the website doesn't do anything about it, then we have in Australia something called the eSafety Commissioner who has an online reporting tool where you can report what's happened and they have the power to, to take it down. Um, but, it, yeah, I mean, you know, with the advent of technology, and, and I think technology is genuinely wonderful, uh, but, you know, the downside of it can be that kids are, you know, they don't leave the playground and what's happening in the playground at school. They come home and because of their devices, if they are being bullied or people are being nasty, it 
effectively can happen 24 7 um, and so they don't get a break from it uh, and, and I think you know that's another reason just to you know as you know as parents to be really across in a curious way what they're using their technology for you know if they have phones um, younger than say 13 years old I'm not advocating anything necessarily but young people do have them um, 13 years old plus is usually when it's considered that they can have certain apps um, or different, you know, um, platforms are considered, you know, that they're considered ready for. But not all 13-year-olds uh, are at that stage of maturity to be able to manage them as well. So as parents, there's a lot to think about. Um, another really good resource for working out, is my child ready for, for this, be it a, a movie, be it a series, be it an app, be it a particular platform, is Common Sense Media. And they have lots of parent guidelines on what they're all about. So, you know, you can then talk in an informed way with your child about what they might want and whether you feel they might be ready for it. Um, these conversations can be super challenging. But I think if you're always validating, you know, even if you say no, you know, you can't have the certain thing yet. I don't feel like you're ready for it. And it's my job as your parent to keep you safe. You can still say, I also really understand that you want it and it's hard not to have the thing that you want or that, you know, Jackie down the street has got, you know, has got it and that must be difficult too and, and you know, this is how this is how we do it, yeah? So it's... Yeah, that's good. You phrased that so well, Charlotte. Because <laughs> I know often my um, husband and I talk about the fact that, yeah, we're like, oh, you know, we we don't want them on video games, we don't want them on this and that and then it's at the same time you're like, oh, there is that aspect of are they going to school and then you know, at school, like well, they're the only ones. They're the only they're ones that allowed. aren't. And then all of a sudden, they they receive. They're on the receiving end of maybe being like teased or taunted because they're excluded from you know what all the other kids are doing. It's such a um, fine line and scary mm -hmm. one. Yeah, and it's and it's tough. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the kids of today have a much more complex time with everything that is available to them um, navigating things than we did back in the day. It just was like, can you, you know, can you watch a um, PG-rated movie or, you know, someone's watched an M15 plus when they're 14 or something and, you know, it was it was a simpler time, I think. Oh, God. Yeah, Take I know. me back to that time. I know. <laughs> Seriously. With your expertise in the fields that you're across in clinical psychology and neuroscience and then with Dolly's dream, do you, like, I know it's hard a hard question to answer and maybe the uh, resource that you referred to before um, about checking the media and a, a, a narrative in which you can talk to your kids about what you can family plan and engage with. But do you have advice on really limit the kids on TikTok? You know, um, is there guidelines or information through uh, Dolly's Dream or that you're across that help parents go, okay, it should really, we shouldn't download that app, we we. We should oh, limit this that is the time you should be spending on it. Or yeah. Or is that a tricky question to, to ask? Um, I think it's a really good question. Uh, I think, you know, the first part I'll answer is that there are certain guidelines about the amount of time um, that's recommended, but I think we're moving 
perhaps away from an arbitrary unit of time and more to what are they actually using technology for and what other activities do they need to balance with that and are they getting the opportunity for those activities, be it exercising, family time, face-to-face, social connection, those sorts of things. So those are the questions I'd be asking myself, you know, what are they using it for and how is that fitting within the balance of life generally? Yes. And then when I think it, it comes down to is my child ready for, say, TikTok or Instagram or Facebook, um, everybody's child is different and even within a single family you might have somebody who was 13 and, you know, as the recommendations suggest, they might be ready for it and you might have your second child who's 13 but from a maturity perspective you just don't feel like they're quite ready yet to have it. Um, I think, again, you know, reading really thoroughly common sense media about their descriptions of, of TikTok and, and other apps will really empower you with the knowledge and information you need that you can then sort of view through the lens of your child's stage of development and maturity as to whether they might be ready for it. Um, And there's also opportunities too to sometimes have, um, you know, a dual account where the parent and young person can both share an account and that allows you the capacity to see how they're managing it and what they're using it for and does it seem that they're, they're ready on that basis. So, I would hasten slowly <laughs> with it, even though your young person is probably desperate to get involved. But I'd also be really considered about it too. And, and you know, so many young people these days spend a lot of time connecting and socialising online. So it's the new... That can be good too, I guess. It can be really good and it can be really hard if they don't have that opportunity but it's as a you know as a parent weighing up is it you know safety always has to come first and then how can i help them either get ready for it um or help them understand why they may not quite be ready yet um but you know that there will be a, a pathway uh towards being able to connect because uh, you don't want them to miss out but at the same time right. you don't want them to you know to um not yet be ready yeah i mean everything that you're saying uh, is so helpful and then what keeps going in the back of my mind again is that open dialogue with your child because all of those decisions, um, I mean, I guess the safety comes first and is probably the adult's responsibility alone because the child's not of an age where they may understand those decisions. But then just the keeping the open dialogue. Um, and, and you want them to come to you with these yeah. questions. Because I guess if you're making those executive decisions without them involved, you risk losing that relationship with them where they'll talk to you about it or engage you with what's happening yeah. online and you don't want to lose out on that side of it too. But I have these questions with myself too. I'm like, okay, you're using too much tech. Why are you on Instagram? You know, go for a walk, call a yep. friend, do all these other things. Like, it, again, you know. Totally. All of us can take, well, learn from this. Yes. I mean, uh, I want to be on TikTok, but I'm like, no, no I'm not ready. No. <laughs> um, and then the, we talked about compassion and kindness being at the forefront of, you know, really navigating and helping um, curb uh, behavior that may be leading towards bullying tendencies. How, in practical terms, 
do you sit down with your child or young person and and sort of get them to start understanding is it conversation is there is it modeling is what's happening at home you exampling the way in which you treat people and behaviors what are practical ways you can um teach those learnings about kindness and compassion down to your child yep well i think that's a you know it's a really great question um and i think you know i probably suggest being quite broad about it and maybe it starts with asking yourself um and your partner you know some questions yourselves you know um do everybody's experiences and feelings in the household or out of it matter does this come across in how you speak to each member in your family you know in the way that you and your partner speak to each other you know am i most of the time not necessarily all of the time but am i most of the time modeling to my children in my interactions with them compassion and kindness that i hope that they would offer to others you know when i struggle myself or i'm feeling angry or blow a fuse do i apologize to them for that and repair the rupture am i asking them about their feelings in a way that helps them understand them so that in time they will also learn and understand how to check in with others about their feelings too and to care for them you know do i create opportunities to check in with feelings especially when i notice them having maybe bigger ones than usual or more of them than usual you know not at the dinner table you know a nice quiet little little moment mm. uh, and do i constantly remind myself that they have a developing brain um you know it's not rational to consider that they could behave like an adult emotionally or strategically um and that's not to say that unacceptable behavior um or being rude should be endorsed or just go by the wayside but ideally it would be responded to as we said before not reacted to um and then the underlying need behind that that they're trying to express um further sort of searched for uh yeah i think i think it's it's holding those questions in mind and and probably for you know all of the parents out there um are they are they able to i guess take care of themselves and offer themselves that kind of um self soothing and nurturing that helps them have the capacity to be able to then provide that kind of space and patience for their children too because i think that um most of the time when people are having you know a tough time of it it's because they themselves are really worn out um and they're exhausted and they're just you know they're just needing a little bit of a break um to be able to kind of get that that fuel again to to keep going the way they would like to to show up for themselves and for for their children. Mm. Such like helpful advice. I mean, I do think about all of that. I mean, you can only naturally relate it back to your own experience and I think yeah. And you <laughs> you can't Yeah, and that and that's what I say like it's conf- like my biggest thing is when you know the girls might say Charlie and I are having an argument very rarely no <laughs> but um <laughs> that was an awkward but laugh conf- yeah I'm like no nah, all the time conflict resolution like yes you're always going to have disagreements you might have heated debates about things but you know coming together and being like I'm really sorry I said that to you or you know you made me feel like this having them see us sorted out and sort through it makes me feel better and 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 shows them that yes like of course it's human nature you're always going to have conflicts mm. 
Yeah. That's and how I you think, deal with it. And that also, you know, that also models that, you know, mummy and daddy are okay. Um, yes. You know, because I think young people as well, uh, when they, you know, if they only see the, the rupture but not the repair, then they can worry. Hang on a second. You know, what's happening with these two people? I, I need them to, to like each other and to be okay gotcha. with each other, to feel safe. Um, and so it is, again, it's, as you said before, Beck, it's all of, the, all of the happenings in the home, the school, every environment is an environment in which young people can absorb what's going on and make sense of the world according to what they see and what they hear. Um, so this open kind of communication that, that we have uh, is, yeah, is just so important for helping them make sense um, of the world. I, I, and like, because I feel like that is the big picture of of everything that you described as practical tips of what you can do to reflect and and model and change and work on, um, with keeping in mind there are natural times where you know exhaustion levels and fatigue and so on play into those these um, ruptures that may occur. Uh, I guess in the big picture of it, it makes me think then that will only also have a positive impact and effect on the way in which they interact online. Because I guess the compassion and kindness that they may see or share online will probably naturally come from the way in which they interact and engage as a person. Is that sort of, I guess, a healthy way to look at it? <laughs> I think I think that's entirely, you know, entirely reasonable. I think um Sometimes it fits, sometimes it doesn't. You know, it's a it's a complex um, interplay of factors that can, you know, lead somebody to be nasty online and it, it may have something to do with what they see and hear and what happens or maybe even how their best friend sort of operates towards somebody else. It might not necessarily be, you know, what they're experiencing um, at home or, or, you know, siblings or parents or that sort of thing. But... I think that if, you know, if we mostly agree um, that the way people treat us, including how they speak to us with respect and compassion and kindness and that we are listened to and we're provided with choices, that helps us to feel safe and secure. Mm. And, you know, over time children tend to, you know, internalise those voices and the messages that come with them and how those messages make them feel um, and that kind of gets construed as I'm worthy or my needs are seen and my voice is heard and I am respected. Um, that's not to say you have to be a perfect parent and, you know, always do that, as I said, the, the caveat before. Um, but that helps a child develop confidence, you know, in themselves over time. And oftentimes confident kids aren't needing to sort of, you know, be protective or combative um, with other children, you know, because they feel sort of more secure and confident in themselves. And I think, um, you know, when they are used to that way of being treated, it sets up a familiarity with mm -hmm. what they then expect from others and also hopefully um, do themselves when they interact with others. Mm -hmm. um, that won't prevent them necessarily from being bullied, but they will certainly know what feels different if that happens and when a red flag is a red flag to come and talk to, you know, a parent about it. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, the, the ways we interact can have a profound impact um, for children, definitely. 
Of course. A question we always ask at the end of our episodes is, is this one's a tricky one because it's a hindsight question. And I think the difference is that you're um, talking with us as uh an expert in this field and, and, you know, offering resources and tips. But, um, I wondered what you would think in hindsight with all that you know now. Um, what would you tell your younger self or arm your some younger self with the informational knowledge to or awareness to manage or squash bullying if you were to witness it or experience it? Such a good question. Um, I think that I would tell my younger self, and I think, you know, you might remind your children of it too, um, to know that they deserve to feel safe at school, at their sporting club, um, at home, wherever they may be, um, that they deserve to be treated with respect and so do others around them. Um, You know, young people, as we've said, don't often tell their parents when something's going wrong and it might be because they fear the situation getting worse, um, perhaps disappointing their parents, or they might even think that in some way they deserve what's happening. But I would encourage them to, you know, in the in the words of Dolly Everett, um, you know, whose, whose legacy um, is being carried forward by Dolly's dream, she said, you know, speak even if your voice shakes. Uh, and that is what I would try and help you know, young people to be able to to do and give them the skills and capacities to be able to. I can't. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, few tears. Yeah. Well, we, thank you, Charlotte. Yeah, that was very beautifully said. Thanks so much for having me, girls. I um, really appreciate the opportunity. No, thank you so much. You spoke so well. You offered such helpful advice on all aspects because. I think no matter which way we look at this, it's a difficult topic um, on all sides, but it does take, uh, I guess, the responsibility of an adult in this circumstance to arm themselves with information and to move forward with knowing that there are resources and practical advice available and uh, And the strategies to teach our children and talk about it. Yeah. But And thank you for all that you do across all the different aspects and you manage a lot and contribute a lot to the community and to, to young people and it's just a really uh, wonderful, wonderful, wonderful contribution. We're very lucky to, to have you in the field that you are in. Thanks so much for your kindness and, you know, I also feel really grateful to be in the field that I'm in and to be able to contribute, you know, in any small way. So thanks again for the opportunity here today to to further that that work. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of Not Super Woman. You can find extra resources, links and information on our website, which is notsuper-woman.com. Is that a dash or a hyphen? A dash is a hyphen, Rash. <laughs> Wonderful. <laughs> um, and if you're enjoying what we're bringing, you can follow us on our socials and we're across all podcast platforms. So hit subscribe, guys. 